Bereavement care, are you familiar? Uh, Vaguely, yes. Again, my experience here is pretty limited. That's better than most. Basically, bereavement and grief support are meant to help people process the death of a loved one. After the fact, gotcha. What actually happens though? Well, usually it depends on the situation, but it can be done by supporting the individual through their grief journey, either physically, emotionally, cognitively, or spiritually. Yeah, so they specialize. Is it usually like a one-on-one basis or? That depends on the professional and on the person's comfort levels. It can either be one-on-one or it can be done in a group setting. There are also some organizations that do events such as death cafes or one that I've recently heard of called caring cafes. Those sound like two very different cafes that you do not want to get mixed up. (laughs) That would ruin your entire Tinder date, am I right? I'm perfectly capable of ruining my own Tinder dates. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, interview episode. Who's next? Well, today's guest is Irish. Ah, great bunch of lads. What? The Irish. No, uh, no, her, no. (laughs) Her name is Irish Dinza. She's the grief support worker and outreach worker for the Center of Grief and Healing and is also a wellness coach and a writer. Oh, okay. I see. I see. So she helps people navigate their emotions and their feelings after a loss, right? Fair play. Important work. Yeah. Her organization specifically provides, and I quote, compassion and care for individuals dealing with the death of a loved one. There's actually a point where she mentions that she meets people where they're at on their grief journey instead of trying to bring them somewhere else. Uh, It's like what we talked about in our grief models episode uh, last season about the grief journey not being linear. It's pretty cool. I like this this approach takes the onus away from the bereaved. Um, They already have enough going on, right? Yeah, exactly. Why force people through an order of processes they may not exactly have to go through? Makes sense. Sounds like an ideal person for us to speak with. The first half of the interview touches on her work as part of her organization, the Center for Grief and Bereavement. She works with marginalized communities and she specifically focuses on people experiencing homelessness and newcomers to Canada. Huh. It's refreshing to see that she focuses on some of the more marginalized and vulnerable. I mean, they'll have less access uh, to support. And as a relative newcomer to Canada, it's refreshing to hear. Yep. She actually explains why she's working with these groups of people really well and what brought her to this point in her career in general. She also touches on the government's role in addressing grief and bereavement issues. And judging by her bereavement laws episode, I'm guessing that the Canadian government is it's not exactly exceeding in this role, are they? Exactly. Oh, there's also a point where she talks about her Punjabi culture, which I think you will appreciate. Hey, gang, gang. Awesome. Uh, Should we get started? Yes, sirree. Irish, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you so much, Maria, for having me here to talk about something as important as death, as real as death. And I couldn't be more grateful to be able to talk about this today with you. Amazing. Super excited to get started. Um, First, I would love to learn and hear more about what you do as an outreach worker for bereaved families. So tell me a little bit more about your work and how you support this community. 
Yes. Uh, so I work for the bereaved families of Ontario Halton Peel region. So we're specifically, our unit is called the Center for Grief and Healing. Um, so we work, there are 12 affiliates to the BFO and um, each one works individually, um, you know, having to, to kind of take on their own operations, their own donations, their own processes. So we kind of are very different from each other. Um, so my particular job involves reaching out to the community and the different parts of the community that can reuse grief support. So that could be other organizations, senior homes, schools. Um, previously, uh, before I took on this job, that reach worker actually did a group support group for the homeless, which I, I was so inspired to, you know, uh, learn about that. And it's something I really would love in the coming, you know, time in this job that I can maybe reach out to those parts of the community that no one is really, you know, worrying about when it comes to grief. And um, that is pers my personal goal in this job, to really get to as many aspects of our community as I can and provide them the support because we all deal with grief. It is the most real and the most common element of life that we all deal with. You mentioned that it's your personal goal to uh, get to every community that you, that you can. Why is that your personal goal? Because as an outreach worker, I can, um, you know, keep it, and in any job, we can either put in our 10% or our, you know, 200%. So I feel because I'm so passionate about this and I'm finally where I belong in terms of work, I feel I really want to make it a personal goal because this is not just a job for me. This is a lifestyle for me. This is what I want to do. I want to be there to support people through their grief. Either I do it through the organization, through the work that I do, or I do in my personal life. It's very, very important to me. And that's what I really want to focus on that I'm there for the community when they need that support. Yeah. And you mentioned who, who else would you say is part of the community? Is it people who specifically reach out to you guys or do you do a lot of um, the outreach to get them involved? Um, in terms of the community, we try to really look at everything and everybody. We do have our focus. Um, so for the coming years, our focus is primarily on marginalized communities. So, you know, uh, racially um, with LGBTQ and um, uh, seniors, especially, uh, specifically also with COVID. So we're kind of looking at a lot of things. We don't have the resources and, um, you know, everything that we need to kind of go everywhere. But we do want to keep our focus on these for the next coming one to two years. Um, but anytime I feel, because um, we're working in partnerships, so there needs to be you know, people wanting to kind of support back and uh, supporting them that has to kind of mesh together, which is where most of the energy and efforts go to kind of find that right partnership to support the community. And are there any partnerships that you can speak to right now that you're super excited about, either from the past or that you're looking forward to? We're really looking forward to um, uh, coming together with some newcomer organizations um, that uh, uh, helping people who have just moved to Canada and kind of dealing with all the changes. And on top of that, um, you know, people are still experiencing grief and loss from either before or from, you know, now. A lot of people are coming from war-ridden war countries, things like that. We really want to kind of get there. We're working on it right now, so there's nothing is fully in place. But um, that is what we're looking forward to. That is the first six months of the year are going to be focusing in on the newcomers and seniors, particularly. Wow, that's incredible. And well, I have another question on this topic. Would you say that you would like to see like policy changes in terms of how the government helps these people in the future? Yes, I think what the government really needs to do is give priority to organizations like ours because we don't get that priority when it comes to, you know, the, the funding. And if we have that priority on their list, then we can provide so much more to the community. We have a very small uh, resource pool. 
And in that, we're doing a lot more than we can actually handle. And that is because the government is not particularly looking at bereavement as, um, as I guess, important enough in terms of social uh, and social issues. And, and that's, that's what was really said. And that's why I think talking about it really puts it out there that this is important. This is a part of our life, a part of everybody's life. And we've been taught to kind of put it aside and just keep moving, keep moving in. It gets to us. That is why we have so many other issues in our life, you know, that we can't deal with. So it's so frustrating whenever I when I hear people think uh, it's not an issue that you need to talk about or address or anything. And it's because everybody on this planet is going to experience a loss of some type or they're going to physically themselves go through it. They're, they're, they're going to die. So when people hear about grief, they typically think of the five stages of grief and that they go in order one, two, three, four, five, which is denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Um, people assume this is how everyone processes grief. And um, at the end of the day, they come to accept it at some point. Realistically, uh, and the reality of the situation is that it's a little bit different. Can you speak to the process and the phases of grief and um, how it can look different for some people? Yes. Um, so I uh, find these uh, phases really interesting because I think in an in a educational sense, they give you so much insight into what grief is. But in a reality sense, it gives you just like a little pinch of what grief is. And that you learn when you, when you know you are working with people that are grieving. When you've grieved yourself, you learn um, how different it really is. These stages provide a framework, which I agree, they're good to know for everybody, um, either you're grieving or not, um, because to have that knowledge is important that what you can possibly experience but when you are actually experiencing it there's a lot more emotions involved in this in fact all emotions are involved Mm -hmm. i read somewhere that grief is very very similar to depression but um the symptoms of it but it isn't exactly depression because it's it's ignited by something terrifying that happens in your life and everything comes crushing down it is a reasonable reaction to a situation that has happened to you in my opinion doesn't matter how how broken you are, it's reasonable. I do not consider it out of reason or out of nowhere or or unhealthy. It's healthy because that's how you react to things in life. When things fall apart, you are going to fall apart. And that is something I think people need to understand that, oh, if you're not, if you're stuck in an anger stage or if you feel like, you know, you're not accepting according to whatever timeline people believe grief is supposed to be, that's going to put more pressure on you. And the more pressure you put on yourself, you're going to end up getting more tangled into your emotions rather than processing your emotions. As much as I do like these stages, because they do give you an idea of um, what grief can be like when you have no idea what to expect. They give you that, um, that comfort to just know, okay, this is a general outlook, but it's so important, so important to also communicate that this is not it. This is not all grief is. This is giving you just a basic idea of what you can possibly expect. Would you like to see educational changes when it comes to bereavement and loss? Yes, I think the biggest change I would want in education would be to one for it to be done on a school level because it isn't really um, something that's done a lot uh, in school. Actually, I don't think I've ever learned about death or grief or anything like that while I was in school of any kind. And I've been in school for many, many years for many different um, programs. And uh, grief has never come up as a, as a, as a subject um, in school. So one, I would like it to be addressed as something, you know, important in our lives that we need to learn about. And two, in terms of if someone is specifically studying bereavement um, and, you know, in that, what I would like to see is the fact that 
this is ever changing. Grief is ever changing. How we as a as a society is dealing with grief is ever changing, and we need to stay up to date with that. Because in the past, if you even if you look, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, people did not want to talk about this at all. Like this was like, you know, almost as a bad omen, or you bring up death and that's it. Now everybody's gonna die. So, you know, coming from that time, and in that time, grief was dealt with very differently to what where we are today and to where we're headed tomorrow how we deal with grief and how we communicate about it is going to change and the education needs to change alongside that. Yeah. I know in our previous conversations that we've had, you you know this about uh, one of my goals in terms of this podcast and this platform, and it's to change the education system to bring that self-awareness, not even in the sense of death literacy in, in that capacity, but also self-awareness. Like how do you process emotions? How do you, how do you, how do you process your sadness, your happiness, your anger, your frustration, right? Because again, everyone processes and shows it differently. So bringing that education to, to children in particular is, is really important. You're doing your own form of educating on the side through um, your organization's Instagram page. You're actually running a series where you're talking to people about their experiences with grief. What uh, and kind of encouraged you to do this specifically on Instagram? And are there specific people that you're speaking to? So on Instagram is uh, one of the best ways to reach the larger community globally um, today, especially through visuals, which are much more appreciated by people than um, just plain text. And um, people are more interested in those things. So when this started, we started in the summer, a series called Speaking of Grief, where we discuss um, different topics uh, with uh, speakers on how they dealt with grief. So these are people who have had a significant um, lost through death in their life and and how they dealt with it in that in that time how they are dealing with it today because some of them have had the loss years ago but you know the impact exists to this day and will continue into their future we've had two main speakers so far um, that have done we've had three uh, with one girl um, she actually runs a page on Instagram called Girls Gotta Heal and I'm always promoting that because it, I think for it. <laughs> It's really, you know, important the work that she's doing because she's really going out there and supporting girls and women through grief, loss, uh, mental health challenges. And uh, it was so incredible to have, you know, uh, her talk to us about her experience with loss and how she dealt with it at the young age that she was at. And she was under 18, so she was, you know, a youth at the time. Even our second speaker, it was a male perspective, and he also lost, um, you know, a parent at a younger age, uh, I believe, around 18, 19 years of age. And just looking at, um, you know, the amount of grief that we really live around, and we have no idea, um, to kind of learn uh, what, how people process those things. And the main thing of those, about those talks is that we want people who are actually not professionals. We want to reach out to children. We want to get an aspect of different um different uh, types of uh, age groups, genders uh, in, in the talks, but we don't really want to focus on professionals because we want to provide that raw experience of uh, where they don't know what to do with this. They don't know how to deal with this, and they, but they're put into it. And that's what those particular talks were about. For professional speakers, we do other like um, larger events uh, in the year that uh, uh, allow them to share their experience and their knowledge. Amazing. In your work, have you by any chance seen situations of unresolved grief and how are people able to better process and move past it? Um, I think in my work, almost everybody that does approach us is coming from a place of unresolved grief. 
um, because they don't know ever twenty years or it's very very new. They just don't know how to go about it. They don't know what to do. They're confused. They're you know there's a bunch of emotions they're dealing with. Everything else in their life is kind of coming crashing down as well because now they can't you know go to work because they just can't focus or they can't take care of their children like they used to. There's so much involved in that. And, and I think the best way for them to really move through that is by getting the support there. That's how I dealt with it when I dealt with my group as well. Without support, it's incredibly, incredibly hard and a very, very slow process. You will be living in that deep grief for a very long time if you're not reaching out for that support and if you're kind of trying to keep it inside you. So the two things I think that are important are talk it out to anybody that can give you the right comfort. So you don't want to talk it out to people who are going to say things to you that are going to end up hurting you more. And that happens a lot with grief. When people don't know how to support, they end up saying things that are not supportive, but they think they're supportive, and the, the griever ends up losing out more than gain. So finding the right support and then being able to talk it out as much as possible. How, how can people find the right support? How, what would you encourage them to do? I think it's almost um, kind of like a trial and error. You do have to go and find that right person. It's like a relationship. You have to find the right one for you. Um, you can go to a therapist. You can go to a counselor. You can go to somebody like us, which is peer support work. Um, and we're mostly, you know, dealing with grief coming from place as a griever. So that's where we are, where we dealt with it ourselves in our lives. And we're kind of sharing that experience and hearing, hearing it out. Coaching is a new way, which is what I'm studying as well. And uh, you know, I'm hoping to like by the, by the uh, mid next year, I'll be a wellness coach, fully certified. And um, that I think is such a good good way to approach somebody as well, because a coach is supposed to walk with you through your journey. And it's not as much a counselor, not as much a therapist, but more so about just a support for you, like somebody you can lean on. And oftentimes in grief, that's what we need. We need someone to lean on. We don't really need someone to fix us. We don't really need someone to tell us what's right and what's wrong. We need someone to just be there when we're falling apart. And that's what that's why I chose coaching over counseling or therapy or any of these other forms because I want to become right, well-equipped to provide grief support. And I thought coaching out of all would be the best way to go about it. My one friend, um, actually, Emma, who's, who's also going to be on the podcast, he has a, a quote, and I'm going to forget part of it, but he, he always asks whenever I want to talk about something, he's like, do you want a bitch or fix? Yeah. and it's just so great because he asks like what do you need right now do you want my advice or do you want to just let it all out and then just like process it there's a third one i can't remember what it is he's going to get very mad at me but he'll he'll uh, he'll talk about it later um yeah it's great and also let, lightens the mood a bit as well um and it, again it, it just comes down to what does the person need yeah. right like mm-hmm. and also you don't have all the answers you can't give them what they may need right um it's amazing yeah i love that um in canada so i want to i want to jump back a little bit to kind of policy changes and stuff and like what the government uh can do to support so in canada people are able to take five days of bereavement leave after experiencing a death and only the first three of those are paid and that is if you've worked three consecutive months with the employer that's baseline um, for organizations. It's different for uh, obviously startups and smaller companies and everything. Um, With that in mind though, losses happen without warning, as you and I both know. And this type of bereavement uh, leave is only allowed 
when it involves immediate family members, such as parents or siblings. And I've mentioned this to other people in the past. Sometimes a parent can pass away and the child will not care. Uh, but an uncle in a different city, in a different country can pass away. And it's like losing, it's, it's, it, it might as well be as if they're losing, quote unquote, their parent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very different. Um, so grandparents, for example, and extended family aren't included in that time leave. What are your thoughts on our current system? I feel like you will have many uh, when it comes to bereavement leave. And what would you like to see changed? Oh, this is such an interesting uh, topic for me because it actually like gets me all like riled up because I feel it is so unfortunate that our government and our world does not see the significant impact of death on a person. It is a lifelong impact. And um, the most important thing I feel is that we have maternity leaves. We have paternity leaves. When if somebody is born, we allow the parents to have that time they need for their child. It is the exact same thing, but worse when somebody dies. So it's even, in my opinion, more significant to take that leave when there's a death. Because when you have a baby physically and emotionally, you know, you're, you're very involved and, you know, you need to be there for the child to kind of get them ready to, you know, be a little bit more independent. But that is you're doing, you're supporting somebody, you're supporting a child. And you're ready for this. You know, you have that mother or father instinct in you and you're like going for it. When somebody dies, you're the one who has lost your physical abilities, your mental abilities, your emotional abilities, your spiritual abilities. You are crashing down as a person. You're not supporting anybody. Because you're the one who needs the support. So that leave becomes so important for you, you know, figure yourself out all over again because you're losing so much of your identity when you lose somebody very, very close to you. When your identity is crashing down, how are you expected to walk into your job three days later, work nine to five as if nothing happened? You know, that is unreasonable beyond beyond anything. I just am... It really like actually baffles my mind. This is the world we're still living in today that people don't understand the impact that death has on a person. Yeah, when you mentioned particularly the spirituality element of how when you experience a loss, you're, you're, you're you change like fundamentally, like mm-hmm. your perception on life, yourself, people around you, it changes. And when you said spirituality, for whatever reason, that stuck out to me because there are moments where people go through a loss and they kind of lose their their religion or they they lose their sense of purpose right or on the flip side people gain one mm-hmm. and it, it 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 changes right so it, it's yeah people do need support during that time um what do you think what would you like to see change specifically like if there's like a goal or like a um, a goal post and you want to kick the soccer soccer ball into this goal post what would be like a goal for you I would want to see um, a bereavement leave that goes up to three to six months that is supported by, um, you know, some kind of uh, financial aspect by the government. Um, either it be taken as a temporary disability um, for anybody that has gone. People get to choose who they get to grieve. The government cannot tell them, oh, they're not your parent. Oh, that's then they don't they don't matter. You they cannot tell us. We have to tell them that we're going to this significant loss, and they should be allowed to take temporary disability. Um, in, in a form where they can still be financially supported and kind of just get their life back. They should be provided with resources, kind of like our organization or other organizations that do similar work and where they can go if they need that support. But I think the biggest thing with grief is time, 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 time. Like you need to give a person that time. They cannot be pushed or forced back into work, back into school, back into their regular life. 
on other people's demand. They have to choose that when they're ready. And if we are able to give that time and that you know that support in the, in, in that um, space, I think people will be able to kind of come out of their grief, um, the intense grief that they're dealing with, and be able to come back into society and work harder and even better than ever did before. I know that happened for me. I know that my loss after I took that time for myself when I came back, I came back to make a change. And that's what I'm trying my best to do. Yeah, I am really glad that you focused on the time aspect because I know people who have experienced a loss. And in the first year, full transparency, they without knowing what they had gone through, you'd be like, they're completely fine, totally, completely fine. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, the loss kind of hit them a year or two later. And Mm -hmm. they just went through to what you said earlier, just a, just a depressive episode. And for whatever reason, it, it took a year for them to be like, oh my God, what is what happened? And whether that's because they had to go through the process of setting up um, like funeral arrangements and everything like that, coordinating family, because again, that burden is on the family or the people that are close to the person because they're taking care of it and they don't have, again, to your point, they don't have time to process, right? Yeah. Um, Irish, we're going to take a very short break and uh, we will be right back. Thank you. Wow. I cannot believe you don't remember my quote. I'm actually offended. That's an accomplishment to me. Thank you. (laughs) Seriously, though, what's the full quote? Well, since everyone must know, it's bitch, fix or ditch. Yes. I remember when you first said it to me. I can't remember what we were talking about. I just remember getting very happy and also kind of being taken aback by it. Yeah, dude. So everyone responds to trauma or stressful situations differently. So bitch, we rant about it and get it all out of your system. Fix, we try and resolve whatever's stressing you out. I like this one because it also means that you're not giving unsolicited advice. Like they're literally asking for you to fix. Um, and then ditch. I send you cursed memes and the abject horror makes you forget what you were stressed about before. I have been on the receiving end of all of these, including the ditch option many times, and I can attest to the quality of the cursed memes that you possess. Well, ditch is the option you chose, bro. I'm not liable for your choices. That is absolutely not holding up in court. Anyways, let's see what we've learned. The Center of Grief and Healing has about a dozen free online tip sheets accessible on their website. We'll link it in the show notes. These were created by an organization called Bereaved Families of Ontario. We're going to test each other with a little game of Wheel of Misfortune. Wow, you're really jumping the shark with this game show stuff, huh? Shark? I've never heard that. Okay, just spin the the wheel. It's a phrase. All right, so... Do I I actually have to pretend to spin? Just do it. Uh, Fine. (laughs) You've landed on multiple choice. Have I? Which is not a coping strategy, as outlined by Bereaved Families of Ontario. Distraction, humor, grounding, self-love. I heard that You'll go blind if you do too much self-love. Um, distraction sounds a little bit like my ditch strategy. So I'm going to go with that. No professional would ever agree with my coping strategies. <laughs> I really thought you were going to go with humor, given how you personally handle things. 
And if you did, you'd be correct. Sadly, you chose wrong. Distraction is actually considered a coping strategy, but keep in mind that these strategies all have their own pros and cons and shouldn't be done in excess. Mm-hmm. They should uh, They should rename this game show, Name Ammo's Flaws. Oh my God. Okay, so it's your turn to spin. Uh, Stacy. put in the sound. Boom, you've landed on true or false. In the Center for Grief and Healing's tip sheet about how to talk about your grief, they encourage you to create a script and imagine that you're at the grocery store running into an old friend. And then you say it to them as a way to prepare to have that conversation yourself. To me, that sounds so scripted because you, how do, can you anticipate even like your headspace or the authenticity of the conversation? So I want to go mm-hmm. with false. True. Bereaved Families of Ontario says to help someone better communicate their grief, they can imagine running into someone they haven't seen or talked to in a while and run through an imaginary script they've pre-rehearsed. Scripting, what you would say in situations such as these, can help you feel more in control and allow you to think about what you actually are comfortable sharing with others. Hmm, That's a really good point. It's like how you say that you're a verbal processor, right? You understand Mm -hmm. your thoughts and feelings by saying them out loud, which explains a lot of our conversations, actually. (laughs) Yep. Must be the reason I talk so much. Yep. You're on a quest to better understand yourself. And when you finally figure that out, maybe then I can have some peace. Okay. Well, that... (laughs) I will spin for you. You've landed on match. There are three categories that grief falls into. Physical, social and emotional responses. Match these side effects to the corresponding category. Changes in appetite, disturbed sleep patterns, decreased productivity at school or work, and overwhelmed slash numbness. Okay, let's break that down. Uh, What what were the options again? Changes in appetite are associated with which category? Physical, social, or emotional response to grief? Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Changes in appetite, is that a physical, social, or emotional response? Well, I mean, it's it's caused by emotions, right? Or is, or is it a physical response to an emotional... Okay, no, wait, I'm overthinking it. This is, um, this is hard. Yep, I'm glad you got this one and not me. Uh, I'm going to go with emotional wrong you should have gone with your overthinking answer it's physical moving on disturbed sleep patterns are associated with which category physical social or emotional response to grief oh man if that's the case i must be grieving everything and everyone you are a complex and mysterious man ammo but the answer is well i mean that one has to be emotional right because you your grief your thoughts and your emotions keep you awake you're going to be so mad. No, you're wrong again. It's physical. You're not having a good day. What? Okay, hold on. Who decided this? The bereaved families of Ontario. What, all of them? <laughs> Welcome to the annual conference of the bereaved families. Oh, it gets bigger every year. No, the organization is called Bereaved Families of Ontario. Decreased productivity at work slash school is... Okay, no, that legit, that one has to be emotional, right? Unless it's... Okay, no, it's social. I'm going to go with social. Well done. You got that one right. 
Huh. So there is a right and a wrong way to grieve, apparently. Wait until I find this bereaved families of Ontario. Going to be a lot more bereavement going on. You sore loser. Okay, can I throw the last one at you instead? See how little Miss Thanatology handles it? <clears throat> Aside from being a Linkin Park song, being numb is associated with which category? Physical, social, or emotional? Emotional. Final answer. Okay, no, wait, wait, no, that's not fair, because... Okay, you literally got the only one right that I would have guessed right anyway. I win. Time to move on to the second part of the interview where Ira shares her own experiences with death and what her grieving process looks like herself. No, 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 no. Her hold on. And what her grief process looks like. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we were speaking about bereavement leave, laws, government involvement, all that fun stuff. Uh, in previous conversations that you and I had before this recording, actually, you mentioned that you've... Uh, you experienced a very sudden loss of your partner from a few years ago, which you briefly touched on throughout the, the first half of this discussion. Um, that loss actually encouraged you to pursue a career within the death industry. Can you speak to your emotions and how you coped with your own loss? Yes. Um, so it's, it's a long story, but I'm going to try to, you know, compress that into as much as I can. I will say that when it first happened, it was extremely sudden because it was out of the blue. It took 10 minutes for his death to happen. No, there was no illness, nothing expected in that way. And it took me for the biggest shock of my life. I did not see that one coming at all. And, um, and at that point, I completely broke down. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was going, we were going to school together, um, studying a similar, the same program. And we basically, I couldn't go back. I, I was like, I'm going to drop out. And I did drop out for one semester. And um, I went back, even though I knew I was never going to work in that field without him. Um, I went back just to finish it because we started it together. And that was three years that I took to finish that and kind of take that time to also understand what do I want to do with myself after this? Um, how do I, you know, begin life again? Emotionally, I dealt with every emotion in the book that you can name. They all emerged after after something so sudden. And um, and it took me a year to finally have a day where I wasn't crying. And that year, the reason that happened is because in, after a year, I reached out to VFO for support. It took me a year to even pick up that phone and call them and be like, can I come in um, for this? Which is why this conversation is so important because I didn't even know what VFO offered. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what to expect. There was too much anxiety around me, even approaching them that I, I delayed it um, for a year. If I had known what they did from you know the get-go and um, that there, there is support like this out there, I would have reached out probably a lot earlier. So once I reached out to them, I went to a group every week for a year and a half. Every week. I didn't miss a week. Um, no matter what happened, no matter the weather, nothing, I, I always went. And that helped me just talking and listening to other people who are going through a similar experience, kind of, you know, seeing how people are dealing with their grief. Just that commonality of pain, I guess, you know, where you kind of find comfort in knowing that you're not alone. That is what really helped me finally understand how to live with my emotions. And because I am, an, I am very emotional, so I have very intense emotions. Either they be good or bad, They're, they come out like, um, you know, crazy. So for me to process them and for me to understand them, it was a huge task. 
I was going to ask, what's, what's your sign? Oh, Scorpio. Scorpio. Intensity. That's an intense sign. I like it. That makes sense with the emotions. So it took a year to call BFO. And I, I, one of my other questions is actually going to be, what, what did you take from that experience and how did you apply it um, and what you learned from it to the support that you provide to others today? I love this question because that's what I'm always trying to pick up on uh, when I am dealing with anybody who has gone through grief or when I dealt with my grief. And what helped me the most, I think I could bring it down to two main things. One is authenticity of the person that's providing support. It's so important for someone to not be acting like they care or pretending that they're listening. And the second one is for them to just let me be. (laughs) To let me be as I am, but be there with me to let me be as I am. And um, those are the two most important things. And that's what I focus on when I'm providing support. I always say that I need to meet the person where they're at, not where I'm at. So I have to come to that point that I feel this is how you're feeling right now. If you're crying, you know, six days a week, then I understand that. And I'm going to let you do that. And I'm going to sit there and understand where you are right now and provide my support on that, you know, platform. And not tell you to, oh my God, come out of your house and we're going to go, you know, do this and do that. And like, you need to understand when a person is open to that. You can, and that is kind of like, you know, a sense you kind of build after a grief, you're dealing with grief. You build a sense of like understanding what people require when it comes to grief. And if you haven't gone through grief, you don't, that sense is very difficult to have. And I'm so glad you brought that up. It's like a hyper awareness a little bit. I think I like, I want to call it like my superpower. sometimes, but I'm like, man, I can really pick up what someone's feeling, the vibe, what's going on. Like the number of times I've been like, oh man, that, that person's going through it. And my friends are like, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know, man, just I'm getting a vibe. Like something's going on. Um, so I'm really glad that you, you, you mentioned that. And then also be with me as I am. I love that just as a quote. (laughs) Uh, and it's just, I'm thinking of this image of this, this illustration where it's just two people sitting together in silence. And it's just, that's what they needed at that time. It's not pushing. It's not pulling. It's not this, uh, this battle to take someone where they, where you want them to be just being with them where they are. I think what's important about is that for a person to kind of be able to identify that for themselves. So if you know that when you're feeling an emotion, an emotion, and you need to just sit there and be in that emotion, when you understand that depth of your own emotional self, you're able to provide that. Yeah. And that just also comes down to just self-reflection, man. I wish I can, there's, I feel like I could do like an entire episode just on self-awareness. In a, in a previous conversation that you and I had, uh, you also mentioned that you've mm-hmm. experienced long-term disability. And that was also an element that made you want to go into the death industry as well. Cause again, it brought a sense of self-awareness in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think this influenced the way that you process your own emotions as well as communicate the experience with others? So for me, because why I work in grief support, a large part of that is because it helps me process my grief every day. I know my grief is a part of my life as long as I live because as anything significant in life, either that be a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce, it stays with you. It stays with you on some level. And if you pretend like that never happened to you and you kind of just live life pretending it never happened, one, you're taking a huge part of your life out of your life. So you're kind of, you know, doing a disservice to your own life. So it's important to remember, bad or good, what has happened to you in your life, what you have been through. Using that as a way to become wiser, to know how to deal with what's about to come in your life. 
So for me, that's what's uh, you know the most important thing um, when it comes to understanding my emotions is that I need to provide myself with things that will support me. So as much as I'm supporting others, they're supporting me right back um, with my grief. And and I love doing the work I do because I feel it gives me this purpose of I went through a time when I I didn't think I could come out of it. I thought this was it. You know, I dealt with a lot of mental health problems at the time, suicidal thoughts, everything in the in the book that you can think of. Like I said, every emotion you can ever imagine, I felt it. And um, at that time, you know, dealing with these these emotions, I really didn't think I was ever going to come out. I really was. Honestly, I didn't know I was going to see 2020. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how good or bad that is, but I wasn't going to see 2020 because I felt like I was going to die. I just couldn't fathom a life without my family. And now that I'm still here, I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I'm here because now I have a purpose that ties him into it, that, you know, gives me this, you know, this passion. And if the day I do die, I want to make sure that, you know, what the work that we're doing, we're helping people understand themselves and helping them understand the impact of loss, grief, death, bereavement, is, is so big to me. And I'm, I'm so happy I lived just to do this. If nothing else even happened, you know, just this on its own is, is, is you know, I'm fulfilling enough for me to feel like I, my life did something in this world. I, I wish people could see you in this podcast. You're the how how animated you got and how lively you just it was it was ener- it energized me. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I, I'm also very glad that you're here <laughs> and talking to you. Um, when it comes to the different cultures, do you feel as if if I, I know you came uh, from India to Canada? Do you feel as if if you had experienced that loss in India, the way that you would have processed it would have been different because of the cultural differences? Mm. I feel um, even though I'm not in India and I'm here, it still impacted me, um, the cultural expectations. Because in India, especially where I come from, I come from the northern part of India, you're allowed to grieve as long as the funeral is Once the funeral is wrapped up, at that point, you're expected to just move forward. Kind of like the three-day bereavement, you know, so very similar to that. But that is the cultural expectation. I feel that did impact me, but because I'm not the most cultural person, you know, in terms of like, you know, really, really attached to my culture, I tend to be a person that develops my own culture. Like I, I, I pick and choose what I like in different things and I kind of make a, a mix of that and what I, how I want to live. So because I'm not so tied closely to my own culture and it doesn't bring me any kind of, um, I guess, comfort in that level, like where I must follow my traditions to feel, because sometimes people feel very attached to their cultures and they feel following those traditions brings them comfort through their day, which happens, which is good, which is a good thing. But for me, that wasn't the case. I couldn't follow those traditions. Also, uh, my partner was um, Christian. So I'm not Christian. I'm coming you know, from India as, as born into a Sikh family. So the, the traditions are very different in how his family um, uh, went about it. So it was very, like, you know, different for me. I didn't know anything. So I just kind of followed with it, um, how it went along. And and for me, I really couldn't find support in any kind of cultural practices. Um, they were just for, I guess, a way of honoring and, you know, kind of a traditional thing to do. But when it comes to finding support or comfort from that, I, I do not find that in, any, in any, either one. Interesting. So both of them, the the, the support was lacking in, mm-hmm. in that. And they, wow. So can you, can you walk me through, because I know um, they have various, in India, they have various, various burial practices. Um, 
And I think the length of it is a little bit different than how we do it here in Western culture. Can you run me through that a little bit and break that down? Yes. So in India, it really varies based on north to south to east to west. It's so different um, because there's so many different types of cultures. For my particular uh, culture, which would be, I guess, the Punjabi culture and the Sikh um, community, it would be uh, that we would have the burial happening within four days. It has to happen within four days. Um, you know, there's uh, there's ceremonies in the temples where we're having prayers and everybody's grieving. We wear white and not black, um, things like that. Um, we have to cremate. Cremation is essential. Uh, burying someone isn't, uh, isn't really a thing at all. And then we have to get rid of the ashes. We're not really allowed to keep the ashes. So we're supposed to kind of throw it out in some kind of water body. Um, it isn't considered right to keep them at home. So that isn't something you know, we do. And um, obviously I didn't get to do any of that because my boyfriend was Christian. So I didn't really have any of that. Good thing that I'm not that closely connected to those things. So I didn't feel any way about that. Um, we did what I was felt right for him as my boyfriend was Christian. So it, that's what you know, his family preferred for him. And we did um, those type of things. But um, it's very, very different. Like if I was attached to my cultural uh, aspect, I think that would have caused me more grief to not be able to follow those um, because of the, the differences in, in religion and culture. And I think sometimes um, the attachment that you have with that can kind of, it can help. And in other times it can do the opposite of that. So I think people should be given the choice of getting to choose what they want to do. If they want to follow the traditions, they can, if they help them. If they don't, they should feel not made to feel bad for stepping away from them. If that's not the way they feel supportive of them. I was speaking with uh, uh, Mallory McGrath. She's another guest on this podcast as well. And she was mentioning how um, she had to do essentially research on other cultures and other religions and other practices because uh, she does end of life planning and how important that is to do well ahead of time. So you know what that person wants uh, after they die or before they die um, and what that process is like. Do you, do you see, do you see, um, did you have to do similar research when you had to assist and support families going through their own grief? Yes. So uh, people will share if their, if their loved one has passed on where it was expected, it was anticipated death and um, how they chose to do things. So we kind of just give them the space to share their own experience and learn about them. I do like to personally have a general idea of how cultures go about their grief practices and um, death practices so that I don't, you know, when they do speak to me about it and I, I don't come off as completely clueless, but I do allow them to reteach it to me. I think that's so important because even within even if you know something completely, like even knowing everything about, you know, the Sikh culture, there are so many things I don't know because every family has like their own ways of doing things and it becomes very particular again to the person and um, the people that are grieving. So I think it's, it's good to have that general idea and knowledge of the cultures, but at the same time, be open to kind of relearning it every time you talk to a person that is from that culture. I'm so glad that you said the, the word open because I was going to say you have to have like a, an open mindset in a sense to kind of just learn and just listen and have the yeah. ability to ask questions because there's few people that uh, that do that very close-minded in the sense of this is how they're going to do it and that's it. Um, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. I, I know you, you briefly touched on what you want to be, um, like when you die, you want to make sure that you leave an impact on uh, just essentially it sounded like the world and making sure that we're aware of um, how we can process uh, our own grief. I do want to ask though, how do you want to be remembered? And what would you say to your partner if they were here? 
Um, that's that's such a difficult question to answer, but yet I have so many things to say. Um, but I think in terms of, I'm going to try to keep, because I can talk forever, but I'm going to keep these very, you know, precise. Um, in terms Talk of, away, talk away. Endlessly go. <laughs> in terms of being remembered, um, I feel anybody whose life I touch, it doesn't, I don't really have to like not be here in this world, but even if I'm not in their life anymore, I would like them to think back of, think back to me as a person who was there for them. That is really what I, I like to live as that I don't have to be in your life 24 seven, but if you really needed somebody to kind of just support you and be there for you, especially through those tough emotional times, um, then I would like them to think of me. I don't always end up on the best note on it with everybody. I have had, you know, friendships and, and friendships and that have um, kind of just ended on a really, really terrible note. But at the same time, I really hope those people will remember that there were those good times when we were there for each other. And at one point we were friends um, and if things didn't work out, I just hope people remember the good rather than the bad. And I would want to make sure that I leave more of the good than the bad in everybody's life. Because I feel like I'm going to leave both. So I'm not going to say I'm just going to be this perfect person that's just going to be all good for everybody. I'm going to end up leaving both. But I would like to leave more good than the bad. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah. You'd be just being aware of it. good and bad. got to take both. Of, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, they're both going to be there. So, um, you know, you can't avoid them. Um, and in terms of my partner, I think uh, I've thought about this a lot. I um, One thing I really, really want him to know is that what happened to me with losing him changed me 360 degrees. I am not at all the same person whom he has known. And I think this is a good thing. I think he'd be very happy to see where I have, I have brought, been able to bring myself to. Um, it's been a constant change. And I feel he needs to know that everything that I do in terms of supporting people with grief, it is my tribute to him. It is my way to honor him and his life and his impact in my life. What What is his name? His name is Jeffrey. Jeffrey. With the, which I'm always asked to specify when he, when he lived. That and we have to specify that it's Jeffrey with a G. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he appreciates it right now. That's Thank you. Irish, thank you for joining us today. Are there any last thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to impart on us? Thank you so much, Maria, for firstly having me here. This Doing this podcast is one of like the most significant points of my life. And I really, really mean that because when I came across this opportunity, I jumped on it because I thought this is such, it's so important. This work is so important and it needs to be out there. And if I can be even a tiny little part of it, um, it means the world to me. So I want to thank you so, so much for giving me this place and opportunity and, you know, um, for having that faith in me to even be able to provide any, any words of wisdom. Um, but I will say that um, I think in the world that we live in today, uh, the focus is very much on happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. We're pushing this of trying to be happy, happy, happy. And in that push to be happy, we're forgetting that life is not just about happiness. Life also involves pain. It involves grief. It involves loss. And those emotions are just as important as the happiness. And what we should really strive for in life is more so a balance of emotions. Amazing. Irish, you are such a gem of a human. I'm so grateful to have crossed paths with you in this life. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. Thank you so much. Same here, Maria. Like, I cannot believe that this came about and it's so meant to be. I feel it's so meant to be just how it all worked out so smoothly. And 
um, it's it's really, you know, I cannot thank you enough for this. And, and you're so incredible yourself. The work you're doing um, is just, it's so needed. And it's, 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 I'm so happy to be seeing it being done by people like you, people who understand, you know, it's not like just somebody who just wants to kind of get something out of something. But you are doing this out of the passion of your heart and your real care for the world and the people and for people to understand who they are. Because if we live our whole life and we die one day without even knowing who we are ourselves, that to me, I think is a true, is a true sadness. The more we know ourselves, and even if you've done nothing else, but just to get to know ourselves through our life, I think it's the biggest accomplishment. Amazing thing. You're going to start to make me cry. <laughs> so we're going to end the podcast now. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so much. And I, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. What do you think of that last segment? Yeah, I really enjoyed um, how open she was about her experiences. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. I also uh, I noted that she said how grief changed her. And not a lot of people want to admit that because it's, it's a tough thing to admit, I think. Um, people are so in their heads about, oh, no, no, I'm fine. It didn't change me. I'm, I'm better. You know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing to admit, does it? Yeah, especially saying that she was able to go back into society and in some ways almost be better than before, depending on how you're evaluating it. Yeah. So when she said that she was a different person now than she was before, it's like that saying, when they died, part of me died. Mm-hmm. Right? It's as if uh, the death of a loved one causes a death within the bereaved one as well. But that doesn't mean they can't be reborn, right? In a sense? like Yeah, like a phoenix. There's actually research, which we'll also include in the show notes, that indicates that grief impacts the posterior cingulate cortex, medial superior frontal gyros, and cerebellum in the brain. You said that with such conviction that you could have made those words up and I still would have believed you. I feel like I kind of did when I was reading it. So there are parts in the brain and basically these areas handle processing, memory retrieval, automatic regulation, balance, and facial recognition. Okay, most of that makes sense. But what's automatic regulation? It's basically how ideas and thoughts influence our own ideas and actions. Think of it as habits being formed. The human brain is incredible, man, when you break it down like this. Yeah, it is. Um, And we understand so little about it still to this day. So it sounds like when you experience grief the areas of your brain that are impacted make it hard for your brain to function normally? Like um, like from a physical medical perspective, uh, changes to memory, habits, even physiology. But still, mental health isn't taken seriously. Am I right, guys? Jesus. Yep. How are people expected to just go back to work after experiencing the death of a loved one? Exactly. You physically can't even recognize family members due to the trauma in your brain. And we expect people to perform complex tasks for what, like the next day for eight hours? How? Through repression and humor, Ammo. Have you learned nothing? (laughs) Yes. How could I forget? Silly me. So silly. Absolutely ridiculous. I personally really liked how she spoke about the two ways to support a bereaved person. Which... It's something that's really hard to do, um, especially for people with limited experience with death. 
being authentic, meeting the person where they are on the journey, not trying to force them somewhere down the line where they're not. That's my takeaway from from this anyway. Meeting the the grieving person on their part of their grief journey and not trying to fit them in to any traditional grief journey, which we know from last season, the traditional grieving journey doesn't really exist anyway. Absolutely not. I have a friend who said that saying something and it missing the mark is better than saying nothing at all. Even if that something is, I have no idea what to say, just know that I love you. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess because it shows that you care and value the person and the experience they're going through, even if you don't know how to show it. Exactamundo. Okay, I think that this wraps up this episode of Filatimo Life. What do you think of this week's episode? Share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to follow us on social. Stacy, fade out Emma's voice again. No, no, come on. This don't make this a thing. Stacy, do not make this a thing. Or-